Welcome to MIZGTV, your premier Missouri football podcast. I'm Jack McGrath, alongside the man, the myth, the legend, Jake Infante. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a legend, but I appreciate the compliment. All right, and alongside the legend, the man, the myth, Lucas Parrish. I am a man, but the two, the, the other two things, probably not quite true. Not yet. We're, 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 well, we're getting there. We're, we're working our way up. Right. Yes, sir. One step at a time. <laughs> you know, it's all it's got to be. We're here to talk draft, NFL draft, that is week to week. We're going to continue doing it, heading up until April. So, first we're going to talk about some players. Just players in the draft. Are they too hot? Are they overrated? Are they too cold? Are they underrated? Or are they right in that sweet spot right now of how people are viewing them? Are they just right to be drafted in the spot that they're currently projected in? We're going to start with Jacob Eason, the quarterback from Washington. Jacob, since you share the name Jacob, we'll start with you. Thank you. Uh, Lucas and I were talking about this before the show started. He's overrated. Jacob Eason is overrated. I mean, I get the hype with him. He's a big quarterback. He's got a strong arm. But let's put one thing aside. This isn't a Josh Allen sort of thing where he's athletic. He's shown flashes. Uh, The thing with Jacob Eason, he's size, arm, and that appears to be it right now. I mean, his mechanics, for the most part, are sloppy. His footwork affects his accuracy. It's jumpy. It's off base. He's, you know, when he drops back, he's a bit too wide. And the touch overall in his game is pretty inconsistent. And he's very much a one-read quarterback. Like, mentally, there are guys who have shown, you know, plenty of potential. Maybe they're not quite there, but guys like Herbert and Love who have shown flashes of being able to go to progressions. I just don't really see that in Eason right now. A lot of people think he's going to be a first-round quarterback, and I could see that happening because the team's betting on his upside. But I wouldn't draft him in the first two rounds. That's just me. I realize he's going to go a lot higher than I would draft him just based off of his upside alone. But I think he's a major work in progress, and I don't think he's the type of guy you can build franchise plans around just because of how uncertain he is. Yeah, I completely agree with your take, Jacob. Jacob Eason is 100% overrated. Guy's got a big arm. And quarterbacks who have big arms tend, in the NFL draft process, they tend to get value that they sometimes shouldn't. You know, I was not a big Josh Allen guy coming out of college, and though he played okay in 2019, I think, I think people are starting to come around to the fact that he might not be the answer for the Bills. And Jacob Eason, I put in kind of that same boat. You know, you look at a lot of other examples. You've got Jamarcus Russell. You've got Paxton Lynch. Both guys with that that insane arm. You know, so teams are like, they've got a lot of upside, but they can't put everything together to be a successful quarterback. Like you were talking about, Jacob, Eason's progressions, his ability to go through progressions is non-existent. And there are a lot of quarterbacks who do enter the NFL and, and enter in the first round who did not go through progressions much in college, but I don't see it at all from Eason. Like, watching his film, it's one read every time except for the very, very few moments when he sometimes goes to a second read, and oftentimes he's not very successful in those plays. You know, there are a lot of quarterbacks who have entered the league with this upside, like Patrick Mahomes. You know, he, I mean, I think he's the most, the most popular one right now, but he showed those flashes, and, you know, a big difference between Mahomes and Eason is Mahomes' ability to extend the play. Eason is not athletic. I would not be surprised if he does not run a sub-540 at the draft. Moving on to our next guy, 
DeAndre Swift, running back from Georgia. Is he as swift on his feet as everybody says he is? Just a man right now, Lucas. We'll start with you. DeAndre Swift, in my opinion, is a little underrated. He's, he's not a lot underrated. He is considered by most to be the best running back in this class. Uh, there are there are a few a few takes that it's J.K. Dobbins uh, or sometimes Jonathan Taylor, but DeAndre Swift, I I think is the best in this class and, and is agreed by most that he's the most complete back. I have him actually as a pretty high rating. DeAndre Swift, I mean, he can really do it all. He's got good vision, good quickness. He can run with the ball. He can catch with the ball. His his pass blocking is a little bit of a question mark. I don't think he did a lot of that in college. Uh, I I didn't see much of it and. You know, he showed some flashes, but but aside from that, you know, he didn't have many ball security issues. Uh, there's really not much downside with Swift. He's a good runner. He's very nimble on his feet. I expect him to be an RB, a complete RB1 at the next level and have a lot of success. Yeah, I definitely agree with your evaluation of Swift there. I'm going to have to say he's just right. Uh, simply because I don't think he's necessarily a blue-chip running back prospect like guys we've seen in the past, like Zeke, like Todd Gurley years ago, like Saquon. But I do think that in this class, he's the RB1, and he's, he's a well-rounded running back. And I agree with literally everything you said. You know, Swift's got the athleticism. He's elusive in the open field. He's intelligent. He can hit the hole hard once he, you know, diagnoses the play. And he's got value as a receiver, which, you know, as we all know, in today's NFL, that's really important. That's why guys like Leonard Fournette, despite being, you know, a thousand-yard rusher, he's seen as a bust because he doesn't offer that much as a receiver. And I think that DeAndre Swift could potentially be a first-round pick. I don't know necessarily how much teams in this draft are going to value the running back position. I think he'll go potentially late first round to maybe a team like the Dolphins. They desperately need a running back. When, they need everything. Yeah, they do need everything. But when you know Ryan Fitzpatrick is your leading rusher on the team, <laughs> you can tell that regardless of what you think about positional value, the Dolphins need to get a running back at some point. Yeah. So I could see Swift going you know, potentially as high as there. I'm going to have to go just right. I don't think that he's at the top top of the class, but I think he's a quality talent and I think he's gonna be a starter for years to come. Yeah, I agree with, with that to an extent, but I think Swift is right now being viewed as a potential first round pick, late first round to early second round. I think Swift's got the talent, not necessarily to be top 10, but to be top 15. I think he has the talent to be top 15, which is why I'm saying he's a little bit underrated. Um, I'm not sure how much teams up there really need running backs at this point, which is probably why he'll fall. Um, but I definitely think DeAndre Swift should go in the first round. He's got the talent to do it in the NFL. Jordan Elliott from the University of Missouri right here in Columbia. What are we thinking about him? Where do we think he's going to go? Is he too hot, too cold, just right? Now, there's been a lot of late rising potential around Jordan Elliott right now. A lot of people, you know, generating a lot of hype around him late in this draft process. There wasn't necessarily a lot during the regular season, but now as we take a look, you know, we're in February right now. He's rising up boards. Some people have him as a first round pick. I know Bucky Brooks from NFL.com. We were just talking about it. He has him third as far as defensive linemen go. I'm going to have to say he's overrated. I have him currently as my defensive lineman number seven. You know, the thing with him, he's got great physical tools. He's 6'4", 315, you know, jacked to the max. He plays hard. He's got good, like, short area quickness. And I think he's got some upside as a pass rusher, but I think he's a work in progress. You know, I think 
as someone who's watched most of his home games from this past season, he didn't necessarily stand out in the way that a first-round pick would. I mean, he was good, don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't draft him as high as a lot of people say he is because I think the pad level could do some work. He's a bit high when he engages. The hip flexibility, the ability to sink into contact and get the lower leverage, I think that could be a little bit better. And for someone as big as he is, I think his strength could be improved on a little bit, but that's just me. I don't know necessarily if everyone agrees with that. I think Elliott's got potential. I think he's a solid day two prospect, you know, potentially a guy I'd look at in the third round. But considering how high a lot of guys are on him at this point in the draft process, I think he's a bit overrated. Yeah, I agree with your take on him. The only thing I disagree with there, Jacob, is I think he's still viewed by most people as a day two guy, a round three guy. Uh, there was just a mock draft that came out on NFL.com that had him in the third round, which is I think he should fall somewhere around round three, round four area. Probably not round two. I think that's still a little high on him. But Bucky Brooks, I, I truly think his list was an anomaly, and I had a lot of issues with some of his rankings. But the biggest th- issue that I had with his list, with that top five, is that Neville Gallimore did not... Did not show up anywhere. He's the defensive lineman out of Oklahoma. On CBS, they have him as the 21st overall prospect, third defense, interior defensive line guy. And, and I agree with their evaluation. He is better than Elliott. Elliott's got, he does have upside. Like you say, his strength is probably his best trait. His strength, he's shown flashes that he can use some pass rushing moves. You know, there, there were a few times I was watching where he used a very effective swim move that got to the quarterback, got the sack. He had eight and a half sacks on the year. The guy is obviously a talented defensive lineman, but he's not a first-round guy. I wouldn't even say he's a second-round guy. You know, as much as we want to, being from Mizzou, you know, we want to, we want to love the, the guy. And, of course, you know, we like him. Yeah. He's, he's a good prospect. But Jordan Elliott, it just he's not above a third-round prospect, in my opinion. And tapping on uh, Neville Gallimore real quick, kind of going off script or whatnot, I feel that Neville Gallimore definitely should have been on that list. Because I feel you compare the two skill sets of Jordan Elliott and Gallimore. I mean, Gallimore's not a perfect prospect, but I feel like the athleticism is higher with Gallimore. I feel like he uses his hands better, and he's not necessarily as big or like physically gifted as Jordan Elliott is. But I think that as far as immediate impact and polish, I'd take Gallimore. I'd even consider maybe taking Gallimore late round one. Really? I, I view him that highly, and I get okay. it's a talented defensive line class. But I say early round two, maybe late round one, I think that could work out for him. I think that Neville Gallimore should be that high, whereas Jordan Elliott, I think he's still got some work to do. Okay, interesting takes there. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver from LSU. Where does he fall on our list? Justin Jefferson, he, in my opinion, is overrated right now. Jefferson really rose the ranks after that national championship game where he had four touchdown catches. And yes, that's very impressive. And it's impressive that he was able to perform at that level at the highest stage. But that should not that should not take away from you know the initial evaluations before that game when he wasn't viewed as anything more than maybe maybe a round two guy, possibly round three. You know, definitely day two. No, not you know he was not touching the first round at that point. He's got very good hands. But he lacks variety in his route running tree. He uses his size well. He can win 50-50 balls, but he's not particularly fast or explosive. He's going to be a solid receiver in the NFL. I have no doubt about that. 
but he's not. He doesn't have the high upside that you want in that round one tier, like CD Lamb. You know, I have Jefferson right now. I believe is my wide receiver five. He's a solid day two guy for sure. You know, I I'd give him definitely round two consideration. But there is no way he should be touching round one. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you there. I think he's a bit overrated. I really like this receiver class, so I have Jefferson at wide receiver ten. Which wow. I, wow. I realize that's a bit of a bold take. That's mostly based off of how highly I view this receiver class. And I like Justin Jefferson, don't get me wrong. I think he'll be a solid number two receiver at the next level. But there are a lot of guys I feel like have higher ceilings than Jefferson right now. You know, like you mentioned, like I agree with your evaluation. He's a fluid guy. He's 6'2", so he's got some height. Good ball skills. Surprisingly physical for a guy who's sub-190. I agree, he's still got some room to go as a route runner. I feel like the variety in his tree needs work and his ability to use his hands to break press, you know, the sharpness with which he cuts could work and get a little bit better. I don't think he's a round one guy. I agree with Lucas here. I think he's a solid day two prospect. I'd draft him in the middle, late second round maybe. I think he's gonna go higher than that because especially the national championship game, that definitely propelled him up boards, I believe. Overall, though, I think he's pretty overrated. I don't necessarily dislike him. I think he's a good player, and he'll have a good career. I just wouldn't draft him as a first-round pick. Well, and that, it's kind of crazy. I mean, that just shows just how good this wide receiver class is. You just said he's your wide receiver 10. And in most position categories, your number 10 is not going before round 3. Probably going to be day 3. You know, and he's probably going to go round 4, round 5. And you just said he's your wide receiver 10, and you take him in the middle to the late second round. Yeah, I, I'm i in absolute love with this receiver class. I feel like there are a handful of guys who can be legitimate, dominant number one receivers, and then a lot of high-end complementary guys, maybe low-end receiver ones, high-end twos. It's a very talented class. So when I, you know, like I said, I put Justin Jefferson at 10, that's not necessarily a knock on him. It's just that I see a lot of talent in this class and a lot of guys with super high upside. Sticking with LSU, flipping to the other side of the ball, Grant Delpit plays safety. Where are we at with him, Lucas? Yeah, Delpit, I mean, he's, he's a, a versatile defender. I mean, he's, he's being talked about around, you know, he's being talked at, at like, like a round one prospect for a reason. I think Delpit is just right. Where he is. Delpit is a very versatile defender. He's incredibly athletic. He always seems to find he, you always seem to find him around the ball when you watch his tape. He's an athletic freak, very fluid, and he's huge. I mean the guy is like 6'3, 200 pounds, and he's incredibly fluid. Very, very fast, very effective. But that tackling, I mean, it improved. It improved in 2019. But it's still a question mark, and it makes me question, is he going to be that hard-hitting Tyron Matthew, Honey Badger type safety, or is he not? I mean, and as a safety, you have to be able to tackle. You know, and, and he's shown the ability to, to be an effective pass rusher. But tackling the runner after the catch or a running back, especially running backs, I mean, they're harder to take down than most wide receivers. I just there are so many question marks there that I think late round one is a good evaluation for Delpit. I've been high on Grant Delpit this entire draft process. Very early on in my evaluations, 
He was my number one overall prospect. Number one overall. Number one. This was uh, this was before the season started. Okay. So he's you know fallen naturally. Chase Young's my number one because it's yeah. not really a debate there. But I'm still very high on Grant Delpit. So I'm going to say underrated simply because I feel like he's gotten forgotten about in this class. You know the tackling issues have kind of overweighed all of the strengths in his game. Sure, Delpit needs a lot of work as a tackler. But I think, look at everything he brings to the table. Like you mentioned, his size, he's 6'3". He's incredibly fluid, he's athletic, he's fast. He can change direction seamlessly. He's very smart and intelligent. He diagnoses plays well, he can read the quarterback's eyes. And he's versatile. You know, like you mentioned, he's been a pass rusher for LSU. He's been blitzing off the edge at times. You can play him in the box, you can play him in single high where he's sort of in that center fielder range. I don't feel like there are many safeties who've come into the league who have the skill set that he has and the upside that he brings in coverage. I feel like you can work on tackling. As a guy I look at, you know, for my Chicago Bears, Eddie Jackson. He was a poor tackler coming out of college, but now he's gotten better. And he's built upon his strengths even as a coverage safety to become one of the best safeties in the league. That's what I think Delpit can be. I mean, obviously, it's different skill sets there, but I feel like Delpit's strengths can be worked on to the point where he can maybe be an average tackler. And if he's an average tackler, he's still a top 10 talent in this class, I believe. So I'm going to go underrated. Okay, so I have a question. You can teach tackling. Yeah. That can be taught, but do you... What if, what if the issue isn't necessarily his technique? What if the issue is in his mind? Do you think... That like, because uh, tackling those guys, that's not an easy thing to do. They're huge and yeah. they're fast and they're trying to run through you. Do, do you think it's a mind thing with Jefferson? Uh, I personally don't know necessarily. I think that there's some bit of a mentality issue there as a tackler uh, where he might not necessarily want to get completely in contact and completely square up with the ball carrier. But again, I also think that stuff can be fixed with four. Yeah, I was going to say, if, you, if you're looking at mentality-wise, that, that's a coachable aspect of the game. I mean, we, lo- we like to think that having strong men- being strong mentally is an intangible one, when more realistically, it's not. It's something that can be worked on and built up. Yeah, and that's something that a lot of the coaches and the you know guys in the organizations in the NFL are going to have to you know find out for themselves through interviews with Delpit or watching him you know, even more on tape or talking with coaches who have worked with him, they're going to know better than guys like us about what Delpit's mentality is as a tackler. If it's a mental issue with him as a tackler, then I can see some of the concern. But from my point of view, from where I see it, I think Delpit can be fixed to a degree as a tackler to the point where his strengths will continue to flourish and I feel like he can be potentially a Pro Bowl safety in this league. Okay, let's move on. Different segment now. Uh, let's get a little bit unpopular. Let, let's go against go against the usual. Some unpopular opinions. What are some of the hot takes that we have? So I'll start this one off. Number one overall pick is the Cincinnati Bengals. Everybody thinks they should take Joe Burrow. I think the number one overall pick should be Joe Burrow. I think the Bengals should trade out of that pick. You, you look at the Bengals right now, and they're terrible almost literally everywhere. They, they need so much help at so many different positions. Usually I say quality over quantity. In this case, you've got to go quantity. Get as many good players as you can. Try to fill out an actual roster. You can't build a competitive roster with just one player. Now, of course, at the quarterback position, that, that's something that's huge. It's something that you need. 
if there's any position you can build a great team out of, it is that quarterback position. But I don't want Joe Burrow to be in that situation where he has nobody around him right now because I think it'll hinder him. And I think the Bengals have to try for more. I respect that opinion, but the Bengals, the Bengals need an entire franchise overall. And don't you think, even though Andy Dalton isn't the biggest problem, don't you think that starts with the quarterback? I would say it could start with the quarterback, certainly. But I think it could start with the defense. If you're trading the number one overall pick and you get three very decent defensive players back, suddenly we're talking about an entirely different team there. If you get an old lineman and a receiver for a quarterback, I mean, suddenly you can start building around a quarterback. And there's other quarterbacks available. I hate to say it, Mark Mariota's not free agent, Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, you've got a lot of guys out there. Now, they're not going to be as good as Joe Burrow is going to be eventually, but... Right now, are we sure that Joe Burrow most certainly is that much of a franchise changer that he's not worth building a more complete roster? Now, I feel that if the Bengals do stay put at number one, then the pick should be Burrow. Yeah. Without a doubt, they shouldn't even think twice about that. But I do admit they would be wise to at least consider what other teams would be willing to give up for the number one pick. Because you take a look at the guys underneath them. You know, I don't think the Dolphins are going to be willing to trade down. They've got the capital, but I think they're enamored with Tua too much to be willing to trade up to get Burrow. I've been hearing a lot of things saying they're enamored with Burrow a lot as well. I I could see that. And obviously Burrow's a talented quarterback, so he definitely would be. But this thing with Tua and Miami has been building for so long. I think that kind of depends how much of a gap they believe that there is between Tua and Burrow. And if you take a look at other teams picking in that top 10, you know, you take a look at the Chargers. They've got a talented roster on defense and a couple of weapons. They could be willing to trade up to get Burrow, and then the Bengals could still pick at 6. They get a really good pick there. You take a look at the Panthers at 7. You know, Joe Brady, the former passing game coordinator for LSU, he's the offensive coordinator now for the Panthers. If they like that marriage, if they're really in love with pairing Brady with Burrow, they could be a team who'd be willing to give up a King's Ransom to move up to number one. I think the Bengals, especially with how in demand and how good people think Burrow is, they could get a lot for him. Not to mention that next year's draft class is insanely deep in terms of the quarterback position as well. So is there a benefit in trading that pick now and waiting until next year to see what I mean, you can I get? Th- I think it's possible. I think the thing with waiting until next year is you never know necessarily what's going to happen until then. But I do agree with you that it's a talented quarterback class next year. I mean, obviously you haven't started taking a deep dive into it or anything. But Trevor Lawrence obviously stands out. Justin yeah. Fields stands out. Those are two guys who are likely, as thing, if things stay the way they are, they're going to go top five next year. Oh, uh, Lawrence, I feel confident saying he'll be the number one overall pick right now. Yeah. I feel confident saying that when he was a freshman. I mean, the guy is a, an athletic freak. And so, no, I, I can see that. You know, I think it, it might not be bad. I would definitely explore if they choose to do this. And I definitely think they should explore the option. I would explore free agency quarterbacks, I don't know if I, I'd probably want to get rid of Dalton anyways, even though he's not the problem, he's, he's old, I mean, you know, you, you kind of want to get out with the old with, with this, I think Bridgewater could be a guy they could target, you know, someone someone to have this year to maybe make the Bengals a respectable team, and then next year maybe, uh, you know, get a different guy to train under him, but yeah, I, I, can, I can respect that take, I'm going to move on now to my unpopular opinion. 
It is that Henry Ruggs should be a day two pick. Henry Ruggs is viewed by a lot of a lot of people as the third best receiver in this class. You know, top five by most people. But when I watch Henry Ruggs, all I see is speed, and the guy is fast. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he ran a sub four three at the combine. The guy is insanely fast. His blazing speed. But aside from that, he doesn't have much. He's got solid hands. He he he's got solid hands. He makes good adjustments when the ball is in the air. But he really needs to improve on his route running. His route running is not wonderful. And he doesn't have many elite other traits. He's got good straight line speed, but his, his, his agility and his ability to, to, to make quick cuts and, and run good routes, it's, it's lacking. It's lacking. And even though he's got that speed, he's not going to be a number one wide receiver in this league with just elite speed. I think he's going to be a guy who can take the top off defenses at a high level be a, a complimentary wide receiver two type deep threat, but I don't see him being a wide receiver one at the next level. I mean, I can agree with that to some extent with your thinking that, you know, he's obviously got incredible speed, but he's got developing to do elsewhere. I tend to disagree with, to the extent that you're emphasizing the route running and the lateral agility in the open field. I feel that like his teammate, Jerry Judy, is more elusive in the open field despite not being as athletically gifted. But I've seen flashes and rugs to the point where I feel I can be confident he'll get better as he gets smarter, as he becomes more decisive with his decisions. And I think that obviously route running could be worked on, but there are some flashes there in his natural speed and you know overall solid fluidity. There's potential there. And I don't think you know he's not a top two receiver in this class. I have him at three. I think he'll go first round just because of how speed receivers have been perceived in the past couple drafts. You know, we saw John Ross a couple of years ago. His tape certainly wasn't top 10 caliber, but the Bengals chose him that high. It ended up not paying off, but teams love speed at the receiver position. And I agree that he's not necessarily polished, but I think he'll go first round. Speaking of polish and receivers, I'm going to have to move on to mine. I'm going to say... Tyler Johnson, the receiver out of Minnesota, should be a top 45 selection. And he's a guy that a lot of people online are kind of divisive about. Some people are high on him. Others say, see him as like a midday three kind of guy. I think a legitimate argument could be made that from terms of value, I don't think he's going to go this high, but in terms of value, he's a fringe first round prospect. That is how much I like Tyler Johnson. And, like, I understand he's not an incredible athlete in terms of his deep speed. And he wasn't necessarily lighting it on fire production-wise, you know, going up against Rashad Bateman for touches in that Minnesota offense. But I think he's as polished of a route runner as anyone in this class. I'd put him second behind Judy, who wins more because of his athleticism. That's the technique and the intelligence that I see in Tyler Johnson. He attacks leverage points well. He's intelligent. He can disguise his route concepts well. He can change direction on a dime. He breaks the press coverage well with his hands. And he's an intelligent and tough runner after the catch. This isn't necessarily my comparison to Tyler Johnson because he's admittedly, I think, around like two, three inches taller than this player. I see some similarities with Jarvis Landry. Now, if we take a look at Jarvis Landry, 
when he uh, ran the, at the combine in 2014, he ran like what a four seven something. I think Johnson's a little bit faster than that, and Johnson is taller than Landry, and I don't think you know that comparing him to a Pro Bowl receiver is necessarily fair. But I definitely see some similarities in his game. I think that Johnson has the technique, the mentality, and the overall understanding of how to run a route to the point where he can succeed at the next level. I don't know if he'll be a true wide receiver one, but I think he can be a high volume guy and I'm really high on him this year. I think he should be at least drafted in the second round, even if I don't think he'll go that high. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely an unpopular opinion. I'm looking at CBS's rankings here and they have Tyler Johnson at number 78 overall. And you're saying he should go in the top 45 with so many other talented wide receivers who are destined to go in the top 45. Johnson's best trait is his route running. And, and like you said, you know, the tape shows that. He's got excellent route running. But I just, I don't know if I see him, again, as that true wide receiver one guy. His physicality is really where I, I take issue with that. Because he's not the most physical guy. And as a wide receiver one, you want to, I mean, you really want a guy who can catch the contested ball because there are going to be a lot of opportunities for that to happen. And it's great that he runs good routes. Calvin Ridley runs good routes, but I don't see Calvin Ridley being a wide receiver one in this league. So that's where that's where I fall off of Tyler Johnson a little bit. I think I can see top 45. I can't agree that he's a French round one prospect. I agree that he should probably be taken in round two, and if a team gets him in round three, they're getting a steal. But I don't think he's French round one. That, that's a little bit too hot of a take yeah, for me. I, I mean, I understand that, and I realize I'm definitely in the minority with him. <laughs> the thing that I see with him is that I value the wide receiver position very highly. I mean, that's just me. I don't know necessarily how the rest of the league feels about it, if they feel the same way or not. But I feel that if you can get a high-quality receiver too, you take him in the second round. Because, you know, like you mentioned, Calvin Ridley, I mean, he's – you know, not going to be a number one guy with Julio Jones in that offense, and likely in other offenses he wouldn't be the top guy. But he's a solid wide receiver too, and he went in the first round. I see a wide receiver two upside with Tyler Johnson, and with the technique he brings, I think he's the type of guy who can get you like 70-ish catches a season. He's not going to be necessarily an all-pro guy, but I think there's definitely potential in him to contribute. And that's, that's why I see him as highly as he is, because there's a lot of value in the receiver position, and I think for the skills that he brings, he can definitely be a contributor. Okay, we're going to move quickly through this, because we're going to do it every week. Team needs by division. We're going to start with the AFC East. I'll start with the Patriots. I think the Patriots really missed Brock this year. I think they should look for a tight end. So I'm going to say, go for Moss out of LSU. In the third round, I, 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 they have a third round pick. He's a really good player, big body guy, good receiver. I, I like how he fits in that Patriot system. Uh, first round pick, though, do you go after a quarterback? Are you thinking you're looking for an heir apparent to Tom Brady, Jake Fromm, maybe? I mean, Ooh, possibly Fromm in the first. Uh, receiver wise, too, they also need some help on offense. Receiver wise, Henry Ruggs or CD Lamb. You talked about how you don't think Ruggs is until day two, but. Either of those guys as well, I mean, could help that receiving core. Yeah, Rugs will not fall to day two. I, I want to say that unless something drastic changes, but I think he should. All right. <laughs> Jacob, what do you got? I got the New York Jets. And for me, I think it's pretty apparent where the two biggest needs are, and that's offensive tackle and edge rusher. We'll start at tackle. They've got Sam Darnold under center. He admittedly hasn't been as fantastic 
as they wanted him to be early on in his career, but he's still been okay. I feel that the Jets necessarily should still have hope in him. They should try and protect him to the best of their abilities. And we talked about it last episode. This is a very talented tackle class. You know, so you're looking at at least one of Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. You're looking at least one of those guys likely. They're still picking the top 15. So I think one of those guys is definitely, you know, uh, should be a high priority on their big board. And going to edge rusher, the Jets haven't picked a pure edge rusher in the first two rounds of the draft since 2008. And you take a look at some of the guys they've started at that position, I think that's inexcusable. It feels like every single year we take a look at needs for these teams and the Jets are always tied with the edge rusher position and they rarely ever do anything about it. Their pass rush last year was subpar. Admittedly, their third round pick, Ja'Kai Polite, he fizzled out, they caught him basically right away. I think you, you could look in round one, if you don't necessarily love the tackles, you could go for AJ Epinesa will probably be available there. Caleb on Chasen could be a little high, but I could see it there. If you go into round two, though, I think there are definitely a couple, you know, high upside guys like Julian Aquara from Notre Dame, Daryl Taylor from Tennessee, or Zach Bond from Wisconsin. I think he's got, you know, versatility, potentially off-ball linebacker. I like him better as an edge. I see some similarities to uh, TJ Watt, also a Wisconsin guy there, in just kind of being somewhat undersized but being athletic and getting to the quarterback. So I think those are the top two needs for the Jets. So I'm going to be talking about the Bills and the Dolphins. I'm going to start with the Bills. What the Bills need, they need a wide receiver. They need a big wide receiver one. They've got John Brown for the deep speed. They've got Cole Beasley in the slot. But they do not have that big guy, that big wide receiver one, true wide receiver one who can catch those 50-50 balls who can show up when they need it. And I think a guy they should go after is T. Higgins. He's kind of fallen off a little bit. You know, people aren't as high on him as, as they were once. I'm still very high on him. I think they should take him, honestly, in the first round. I think he's a, 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 a potential first-round guy. I think he has the talent to be. And I think when you're talking about a, a wide receiver one, a big guy who can catch the 50-50 ball, nobody better than him. Um, another need for the Bills, this one's not as pressing. They need an edge rusher. Edge rusher and offensive tackle, both uh, offensive linemen in general. The Bills, the Bills could use some edge rushers. They could go for um, some day two value. You've got Josh Uche out of Michigan or Jonathan Grenard out of Florida in the third. They pick at number eighty six. They might have to trade up a little bit to catch those guys because they'll, they'll probably go early third. But I think those are two guys that they should look at at that position. Next, moving on to the Dolphins, they kind of need a little bit of everything. I'm gonna start, of course, with the quarterback. You know, we, we've talked about it on the show today. The Dolphins have seemed pretty enamored with Tua just for a while. And as long as everything checks out good, I don't see why the Dolphins won't grab Tua at five or potentially trade up for him. There are going to be some teams, you know, drafting only a few spots below them that might look to trade into the top five to grab Tua or, or, uh, or Burrow. So I think, but I think the Dolphins, you know, will go after Tua. Herbert Love, also potential options, but I think Tua is going to be their guy. Offensive line... If Tristan Wirfs and Makai Becton, Wirfs out of Iowa, Becton out of Louisville, fall to number 18, they better grab them because both of those guys are going to go. If not, you got to wait because there's not really another prospect that really jumps out after Becton. Some day two guys you could go for, Austin Jackson out of USC or, or Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan. Uh, just some potential options. I think even though this isn't a position of need, 
I think they should also grab a wide receiver in the day two range just because of the value. Um, yeah, the Dolphins just need a little bit of everything, and so they just need to go for value. All right. I think that's all we got for today. So this has been MIZ GTD, your premier Missouri football podcast. I'm Jack McGrath signing off for Jacob Infante and Lucas Parrish. Thank you for joining us. We will continue our draft coverage up until April. This has been MIZ GTD.